Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films, like a couple of drunks at the bars, maybe never quite learn anything, maybe we never enlighten you, maybe we never give you a specially wrapped gift, (laughs) but hopefully (laughs) you just have a good time listening. So today we are wrapping up our discussion on the, that it was not even an intended (laughs) pun, Uh, But today we are ramping up our discussion on the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise with Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker. Uh, So this is a film that came out in 1991. It was directed by Martin Kitroser, I think is how you say that, who also worked on the script for both Friday the 13th Part 3 and (gasps) 5. So, got a little Friday connection yeah. there that I'm sure you appreciate, Chris. Fuck yeah, I do. Uh, and it was written by Kit Roser and Brian Yuzna, who, of course, did Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, directed that, which we talked about last week, as well as Bride of Reanimator, directed Society, worked on Reanimator, the first film. We, you know, we, 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 we know who Brian Yuzna is. <laughs> yes, I know you're not a fan, but I, I love Brian. Um, <laughs> and uh, essentially, the film is about a kid named Derek, played by William Thorne, who gets a mysterious package, a, a mysterious present in the opening that ends up killing his dad, and then he's, like, traumatized. And then it, there's a weird toy shop owner played by Mickey <laughs> Rooney, and there's killer toys killing people, and, it, you know... I, Creepy as I'm, stalker people. As I'm talking about it, this is a very hard movie to describe without just completely spoiling it, so... Yep. Uh, so yeah, so basically, uh, killer toys, someone's making killer toys, probably Mickey <laughs> Rooney, but we don't know who for sure. <laughs> who done it? <laughs> uh, and yeah, and, and it is, it's, it's a bit different in the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise and that it is somewhat of a whodunit and who's the real killer kind of movie, uh, although that's not exactly like a major focus of the yeah, film. Yeah, not so. at all. <laughs> um, Does this film have a focus? I would not say that it does, no. <laughs> Uh, so we are going to spoil the hell out of this, so if you haven't seen it, we do recommend that you do so, because we're going to talk about everything. So you can stream Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 uh, on Shutter. It might also be on Tubi. I will tell you, uh, as of this recording, it will be leaving Shutter. I think, in a few days. So get on it quickly if you haven't already. <laughs> uh, or hopefully it's still up by the time you're listening to this. But, but we do have our usual spoiler-free content before we get into that, so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers. But... Uh, so first up, you know, as usual, we have our poll that we put up every week on Killer Critics and Twitter, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker? <laughs> I'm not sure how many people got past Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 4 initiation, so I'm going to say 
never seen it. Listen, most people didn't get past Silent Night, Deadly Night, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a shame. And if they did, they watched Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 and then never watched any of the sequels after. (laughs) (laughs) Which I will say, I do agree, is a shame. I actually really like this franchise, as we've talked about uh, throughout this week. But it it is one of the... Or throughout this month. But it is one of those that I think is, you know, overlooked. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I, I... there are a lot of people I think that don't even know that these sequels exist. You know, I remember when I first stumbled on them, I only knew of parts one and two. And for me, it was just kind of like, there are three more of these. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they have fucking Bill Mosley and, and, and Mickey Rooney and Brian. Yusna directed one of them. Like, what the fuck is this franchise? But, but yeah, no. So you are correct. Of course. Uh, never seen it. Took it. So love it was 18.1%. It's fine. Was 26.4%. Don't like it was six point nine percent, and never seen it was a whopping forty eight point six percent. So <laughs> yeah, that all sounds about right. So there are there are quite a few people that still need to see this movie. Um, and it is one that I do recommend you seeing. This is actually I yes. think one of the better sequels in the franchise, uh, for different reasons. It doesn't mean it's perfect. No, nope. it's not. It's far from it. <laughs> uh, but it is fun. So we have our usual comments to go along with these. These are all from Twitter. Uh, and so if you would like to skip ahead of these, we usually do this for about five or ten minutes. Uh, but first up is at Bede Germine. So that's B-E-D-E-J-E-R-M-Y-N. This is my buddy Bede. What's up, Bede? And he says, I've watched two to five for the first time recently, and I have to say, Toy Maker is my favorite of the sequels. It's a truly weird and bonkers film that's a lot of fun from start to finish. Also, casting Mickey Rooney in it is the biggest irony of all, <laughs> given his stance on the first film. <laughs> so, uh, so, so before you say anything, I will just say for those who are not in the know, when we did our episode on the first film, we talked about how this film was heavily protested and eventually pulled from theaters after about two weeks because all the fucking, you know, Christians and whatever in the world were, yeah. were just like, how dare you do this to Christmas and Santa, you know, and so the film got pulled because America sucks. And uh, <laughs> and because we're all actually a bunch of uptight assholes who will never admit it. Um, and anyway, Mickey Rooney was one of those uptight assholes who actually wrote a letter protesting the film and called the filmmaker scum and said that it like, I don't remember his exact words, but basically that it like destroyed the sanctimony of Christmas or whatever. And, you know, a bunch of white bullshit. And, <laughs> and anyway, uh, so that's what he's talking about when he refers to Mickey Rooney. And I will agree, it is extremely ironic. <laughs> That he ended up in the last of these movies, not counting the reboots. <laughs> Sounds like someone needed money. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I don't really know a lot about this, uh, you know, because I personally, I've never done a lot of reading on Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. So it's not a film that I really? know. It's not a film that I know much about. Uh, but I but it's my understanding that from what I can kind of gather, Mickey Rooney was somewhat like tricked into the movie in the sense that, <laughs> in the sense that at the time of filming, I, if I understand correctly, he didn't quite know that it was a silent night, deadly night movie, but oh, even that but makes even, it better. Even still though, you know, regardless of whether or not he knew what movie it was, bro, you're still dressed up as like a killer Santa at one point, like shoving kids into Santa sacks and shit. So uh, minor spoilers. So it's like, so, so I can't, you're you're still kind of a hypocrite for having done this film, you little know. Little bit, <laughs> little bit. He needed money. I I'm just curious about if if Beat ended up watching all of these because of us, and in which case I'd apologize. But this was a fun month. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think that he did. But but I do I do uh, 
I, I'm envious of his journey having gone on, you know, this marathon <laughs> of watching all these back to back to back because it is quite something the first time. Yes, so. I do agree. I think that five is definitely one of the stronger sequels. I mean, we know that I love number two because of um, Eric Freeman and it will be the best and I will fight anybody there, while there are, yelling garbage day. There are very few performances that will ever outmatch Eric Freeman's complete and utter insanity in right? part two. <laughs> well, and that's why I kind of like this one. It has kind of that same weird, like insane quality to it that I find really endearing with this. There's there's just one bit that we'll talk about later that kind of ruins this one for me, but everything else is so wonderfully like bizarre that I I like this one a lot. Yeah, no, it, it's a bonkers movie that makes almost zero sense, but it's yeah. kind of amazing in that way. So, <laughs> but anyway, so thank you at Bead Your Mind for the comment. Really appreciate it. Bead also has a bunch of podcasts that he does with our friend Marcy, so go follow him and check those out. Uh, next is a comment from at Dardar Finch. So that's D-A-R-D-A-R-F-I-N-C-H. And they say, well, not great. It's a much more fun ride than three or four. Mickey Rooney scares me even when he's not doing anything scary. LOL. The ending is absolutely bonkers and makes it hard to forget. Also, I would never bring a kid to a place called Pedos, no matter <laughs> what it was. <laughs> right. And for context, for those who have never seen the movie, Pedos is the name of the toy st- of the toy store where Derek and all these other parents shop or whatever, and Pedo is the name of Mickey yeah. Rooney's character. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, there's no way I could not get past the name, like, because the character's name is Joe Pedo. So yeah. obviously we're doing like a Geppetto thing. And oh, Pinocchio. it's totally Pinocchio thing. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I just kept seeing Pedo. I'm like, okay, so we're clearly saying this dude is a pedophile, and mm. Mickey Rooney is terrifying for a man who seems like he's smaller than I am. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he could kick my ass. Uh, well, he, yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, you're pretty feisty. But He's pretty angry in this movie. He's very angry in this movie. You know, this is Mickey Rooney. It's funny because, uh, you know, Mickey Rooney was known as like a child actor who mm. uh, does d- tends to do very light and happy things. Right. <laughs> and and this is, I think, one of his few kind of darker roles where which I do appreciate. You know, I, yeah. I love it. I love it when actors uh, take roles in horror films like this and kind of go out of their comfort zone and do something a little bit darker and meaner and scarier, right? And and Mickey Rooney does pull that off really well. Like he's he's, he's great. great. Like he's great in this movie. He he's definitely for me one of the best things, if not the best thing about the movie. But yeah, no, I completely agree with Dardar Fincher in the sense that all I can think about while watching this movie is pedo, pedo, pedophile. Like it's right? like it, it's very much there. <laughs> and, and and to be frank, I, I do think that it's very intentional, which we'll get into. <laughs> but but to me this movie does deal with pedophilia in some ways and don't worry yeah. i'm not going to spend much if at all this time, whole anytime. episode <laughs> no no we're we're not we're not gonna spend too much time on that because fuck that yeah. but <laughs> uh but i do definitely think that those themes are there in this uh unfortunately yep. so, uh, but anyway thank you at dardar finch for the comment appreciate it uh next up is a comment from at real feels pod so that's r-e-e-l F-E-E-L-S-P-O-D. And they also have a podcast. If you can't tell by the name, check them out. Uh, But they say, Mickey Rooney, for me, makes this movie, just like we were saying. Uh, However, knowing the history of the film, they sort of pulled one over on him by not revealing that this was part of the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. Okay, so there you go. That's what I was talking about. But still, the movie gives feels of Doctor Who and the Plastic Men along with Holiday Joy. Worth the watch. (laughs) Oh my god, it totally does. Yeah, you're the Doctor Who fan, so you gotta... <laughs> yeah, so 
Yeah, the the very first episode of, I guess, like, the new Doctor Who that kicked off with Christopher Eccleston, which I fucking love and almost made Matt not watch the rest of Doctor Who. Oh, it, oh they're referring to that episode with the mannequins? And that's what I'm assuming. <laughs> okay. I mean, look, uh, it's hard to talk about this without getting into spoilers. So I'm just going to say that, like, I definitely agree with that, especially with, like, you know, our, our ending with it. And that does kind of make me love this movie a little bit more. It didn't click until they brought it up, until they referenced Doctor Who. Yeah, but yeah this very much does kind of feel like a Doctor Who Christmas special. We're just missing a TARDIS. <laughs> it, it, do, it does feel like a more horrific <laughs> uh, episode of Doctor Who. Um, But, you know, so the thing I will say to that actually is, for those listening who are I, who are maybe interested in Doctor Who, <laughs> I will say that, yeah, that first episode, if you've seen that and then didn't watch anything after, uh, I get it. I hated it. I thought it was I terrible. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was terrible. But then, and I looked at Chris because this is when we first started dating, and I thought, really? You want you want me to watch all of this? Because <laughs> uh, she was a big Doctor Who fan. and Still am. And still is. And, but I will say, after that first episode, I continued watching, and it got really, really, real good. So, <laughs> yeah, Matt, of course, his favorite episode is the very first Dalek episode with Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, which is like three or four episodes into that season. Yep. So, uh, but anyway, so yeah, no, I t- I totally agree with what what you both are saying. But yeah, I don't want to get too much into that for fear of spoilers. So anyway, thank you at Real Feels Pod for the comment. Appreciate it. And then last comment is from at Bane Conal. Hopefully, I said that okay. And that's B-A-I-N-C-O-N-N-A-L. And they say, this is one of those sequels where if it weren't for the creative casting, it would be nearly unwatchable. Mickey Rooney in a horror film is priceless. Yeah, this is, I feel like that is kind of the beauty of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like This, this entire franchise is that a lot of these movies, if you just looked at the baseline, just looked at like the script and the setup, there's nothing there. There's nothing like I disagree, but (laughs) I mean, there's just there's not a whole lot there. There's so much that could go wrong or not pulled off well. But because of the talent that gets brought to some of these films, you know, especially with this having Mickey Rooney and some of our other talent in here, they kind of elevate these kind of blah ideals. I mean, the the thing I will say. So, you know, in defense to both of you with this, Mm. I I will say that having Mickey Rooney in this or having Bill Mosley in the fourth or, or having Bill Mosley in the third one, mm-hmm. or Clint Howard in the fourth one, and a brief appearance in this one, that absolutely pulls people into the movies. You know, I, I think that that's a an added bonus that makes people go, "Wait a minute, fucking Clint Howard's in part four, <laughs> or like fucking Mickey Rooney plays a like murderous Santa or whatever in part five. You know, mm-hmm. like th- those are definitely things that I think bring an audience in. And you know, if you're not enjoying the film you know, make it a little bit more digestible because you're like, okay, well, I still get to, you know, watch Mickey Rooney be a fucking psychopath, which is fun as hell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, though, I think that, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily believe that the casting saves the movies, but at the same time, I, I do think that there are things, like, I, I think there's a lot of passion and intelligence that goes into these movies yes. that it's not always pulled off very well or they don't have, like, you know, the budget to really <laughs> do more with it. Or, or, you know, or the, 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 the actors to carry the rest of the film <laughs> where some of these more cameo actors aren't in, right? Uh, so, so the franchise definitely has its problems. Um, but like I said, for me, you know, with this one and all the others, they're, they're all 
entertaining to some degree for yeah. me. Although I will say part three is kind of slow as hell, but there are I things that like I like part about it. Three. I like it. It's just it to me, it's the slowest of the movies. So. Yeah, but it's also the bitchiest, and I love that. It is the bitchiest. Uh, but any, <laughs> anyway, thank you at Bane Connell for the comment. Appreciate it. And then one last thing we like to do before we get into spoilers, just talk about the tagline versus the film and what we think of it overall. So the tagline for Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker, was, He's home, but he's not alone. So what do you Wait. think of the what do you think of the tagline and what do you think of the movie overall? <laughs> I love the fact that you know what I think that this tagline, I think all the taglines in Silent Night Deadly Night franchise have been perfect in the fact that none of them make any goddamn sense in relationship to the movie. And I feel like that's perfect for this franchise which is just like a hot mess of chaos. Yeah, the you know doing the tagline thing for this podcast, the, you know, for those of you that have been listening for a while, really makes you realize like how uh poor the tagline art is because yeah. there are, because there are so few that are actually really good at it right <laughs> which is funny to me because that's like the the main sell for pitch you know so for a lot of you don't know like when it comes to pitching movies there there are such things as like the elevator pitch you know where you mm -hmm. have to be able to pitch your movie in like two lines which is basically a tagline and it should be an art that is perfected by screenwriters and yet you know with <laughs> With poster, <laughs> with whoever comes up with the taglines, advertising, whatever, uh, it's usually they, not as they as fail good miserably. at selling. Yeah. So. Look, the poster for this movie even fails because, as we were looking on Shutter, the poster for it is our main character Derek surrounded by plushies. Not a single one of those plushies is in this movie. Well, that's not true. You know, it, it, which it, which plushie? You tell me which plushie is in this movie. Uh, okay, look. So th mostly that poster is like you know a teddy bear. Yes, it is a lie, but most of that poster is teddy bears, and there are teddy bears in this movie. There's one that gets used as a shield. It does, So what? It appears in this movie, Chris, so your statement's a lie. <laughs> you want to talk about taglines not making any sense? You don't make it's, any sense. It's called killer toys, and not a single stuffy kills people. Toys kill people? It doesn't have to be about the but stuffies. The, yeah, but the poster's about the stuffies. The poster's a lie. We already acknowledged this. <laughs> the poster's <laughs> a lie. The tagline's a lie. And you know what? I'm glad it's a lie because killer stuffies are done to death, all right? And this movie actually comes up with some, I, I think, some pretty fun toy the, kills, the even toy if kills they're ridiculous great. as shit. So. There, there's only one disappointing one. Oh, I am. And that's because they don't use the dinosaur. Fair enough, you know? Yep. But... <laughs> Uh, but no, but yes, you're absolutely right. The posters lie, the taglines lie. <laughs> but for me, you know, despite all of that just being complete <laughs> bullshit, um, <laughs> although I do like the poster overall. It's great. You know, I, I think that, like I said, I, I like Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. I think that it's, it's a very interesting film, you know, and I think that that's where it kind of gets overlooked a bit is because... You know, the quality of it, let's be honest, it's pretty it's pretty low bar, <laughs> all right? Like it's like it's better than, you know, like the the sci-fi channel bullshit that mm -hmm. you might see in the 90s or or now, but It's one step uh, up. It's a step up, you know. It, it definitely feels like a direct-to-video movie of the 90s, yep. you know. Uh but but that being said, I I do think that there's a lot of intellectual stuff going on here, you know. It's kind of like we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I do think that it's going on, albeit the script is not exactly fantastic, but <laughs> nor is the acting to go along with it. <laughs> I was going to say the acting's a problem. <laughs> the acting's definitely a problem. Um, but 
but I, but I do think there is I do think it's an interesting movie. I do think it has a lot going on, and, and you know, a big part of that's probably Brian Yuzna. You can really feel Yuzna in this movie. You know, it, it, especially it, with that bug toy. Especially with the bug toy. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Larry the Larva, yep. I think, is its name. <laughs> uh, but no, but but Yuzna is very present in this because. You know, even though it's directed by Martin Katroser, it still it still feels a little bit like a Brian Yuzna film because you know it's heavily involved in sex and yes. and, <laughs> and 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 some very like touchy <laughs> subjects. You know, Yuzna's yep. not really afraid to go there with a lot of this stuff, uh, and it, and so it kind of has that sort of like weird kind of you know sexual horror vibe to it that Yuzna always tends to bring with his work and then I also just kind of love it because along with feeling his influence in Silent Night Deadly Night 5 you know it also just feels like it feels like a Brian Yuzna fan film in a sense because <laughs> uh because it is you know Katrosa like uh, doing this film that feels a lot like Yuzna's work, but then you also have a whole scene that's basically like the Brian Yuzna scene where, <laughs> you know, uh, they're they're waiting in line to see Santa Claus, and you've got a guy with a reanimator shirt, and then the same scene, this little girl asks for a Bride of Reanimator VHS from Santa, yep. which high five to that little girl, <laughs> fuck yeah, Bride of Reanimator VHS, you rock, little girl. <laughs> so, Matt's gonna adopt that little girl. I will adopt that child. She's probably like forty now, but <laughs> but we will we will find. Her and we will adopt her. I hope she's not dead. <laughs> that would just be awful to discover. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. So I overall I like this. It it feels yeah. like um it does. If you're a fan of Brian Yuzna, you know it feels like uh, a, a sort of like a lost film of his in a sense because he didn't direct it. It's not his mm. level of quality necessarily, but his influence is there. And if you don't like Brian Yuzna, you probably won't like this movie. But but I do think that it's it's more fun and, and maybe less uh, assaulting of the senses than than yeah. your typical Yuzna films. <laughs> I mean, I would say, so I, I don't like Brian Yuzna films. They're not right. my, my cup of tea, but I do like this one, and I think it's because our director is a Friday the 13th guy. And so mm. it feels like a almost like a, a slasher, Friday the 13th, that type of film, that feel of film, got melded with a Brian Yuzna. So it, like you know, kind of makes all the gross Brian stuff a lot milder and, like, a little bit more palatable to those of us who really, you know, don't want to see his sweaty, dirty sex his, his sweaty, <laughs> dirty sex movie sack or whatever. I mean, that's what it is. That's what the Brian films are to me. Uh, fair enough. You know, so, so yeah, no, it's, um, it is interesting in that sense because it does kind of feel like, you know, if you took part four, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Brian mm -hmm. Yoza's movie, you know, it does kind of feel like that melded with a Friday film to a sense yeah. because it, because it takes all of the, all of the awful, uh, you know, innuendos and and themes of part four and melds them with sort of your your more typical kind of slasher film right yeah and, and there's this, a sense of comedy about some of those more uncomfortable scenes oh 100 yeah. percent. No, there, there's there's or, ton there's tons of like tongue-in-cheek comedy in this yeah movie, whereas so. brian just wants to gross you out makes you feel uncomfortable and dirty yeah four, four <laughs> is definitely the i'm gonna fuck you up movie yeah. of the franchise and five is kind of like i'm sorry we did that 
but we still have a little bit of that in our DNAs. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't fully moved on from four, but we're trying. <laughs> we're trying to recover from our trauma. Exactly. Um, so anyway, so we're about to move into spoilers on Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. So again, if you have not seen it, please go do so. It is streaming on Shudder as of this recording. Like I said, it might be gone soon. Uh, and it should also be on Tubi as well, I believe. But with that being said, we're about to spoil everything that yep. you can possibly think of with this film. We're going to talk about so much stuff. All right. Well, so let's start with, you know, I I, I want to start with kind of the one of the major underlying, underlying themes of this film, which is the relationship between both Pedo and Pino. Again, <laughs> this is... <laughs> you cannot laugh at their names every time they're mentioned in this episode uh so so pedo you know the the shop owner of the toy store which i believe is just like pedo's toy store just pedo's uh again not a toy store that i think any of us want to take our kids to no um (laughs) pedo played by mickey rooney and then his son pino played by brian bremer uh, who unfortunately didn't really do much after this for a little bit. I think he did one other movie or TV show in the 90s and then didn't really seem to come back to acting until the 2000s, uh, which is unfortunate because I actually really like him in this movie, but yeah. uh, but it probably killed his career for a little bit. <laughs> he was wonderfully creepy. He was wonderfully creepy. Um, but, but anyway, I just want to talk about their relationship and kind of just how it, you know sort of goes along with Derek uh, and his own father's relationship. And just, you know, this is really just ultimately a movie, I think, about, you know, uh, abused kids who just aren't really listened to mm-hmm. or or in, indulged in their needs or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, this is a movie about shitty dads. About shitty Sh- dads. Deadbeat shitty dads. Shitty dads. With names that sound like they're a pedophile. <laughs> okay, I have to just laugh because when you say them together, when you say pedo and pino, it just sounds like you're saying pedophile and penis. And that's that's where I'm at tonight. Yeah, well, that's, I think, where Brian Yuzdan. That <laughs> sounds that, about right, Bram. Was that with this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but to your... To your point, like, this is a movie, this is about shitty dads because I feel like the big thing between Pedo and Pino. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to laugh every time, aren't you? You can't even stop. I'm going to get worse the drunker I get. You're a monster. You're worse than Pedo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just hurtful. Yeah, well, just being honest. (laughs) You know, because, look, the big thing with that, we're in spoiler territory, so we can talk about the fact that we're hardcore not even, like, trying to be subtle about the Geppetto and Pinocchio analogy because Pino is a robot. Like, he's a robot boy that Pedo made. He's a real boy. (laughs) (laughs) No, he is not, and we focus on... Why he? Why he is not? He is not anatomically correct. You are. You he are. He is right. not. He is. He is. He is missing. He is missing some bits. Mainly that, the nipples. We talked last week. I think about how important yeah, nipples are. And nipples. He doesn't have any nipples. That's what we're really talking about. It's fine here. if you don't have a penis, but it's the, it's the lack, it's of, the nipples lack of nipples that really makes you inhuman. Yes. <laughs> Look, it's it's a whole thing of I don't think that Peto would have been a good father even if his wife hadn't died. No, no, no Pedo. Pedo. Fuck. <laughs> I don't think that Pedo would have been a good father, even if his wife hadn't died in a car crash. And who's to say that she didn't just run herself off the road because she didn't want to deal with Mickey Rooney's bullshit anymore? Oh, probably. Probably. But, like, a lot of, you know, Pedo and Pinos, Pedo and Pinos, God, I'm going to have a problem with this. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Okay. A lot of the issues with their relationship comes down to, you know, 
fathers expecting their sons or their children to behave in a very specific way. And if they don't, because their kids are fucking human and have their own thoughts, then, you know, Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rooney throws you against different shelves and then pushes you down a flight of stairs. Because that's what you do to disobedient children, apparently. No, it is not what you do. We have to make that. We have to make that clear that that, that is not our. St- that was a joke. That was a joke. We have to make that clear that that is not our stance on children. Um, but yeah, no, you know, so that look, this is this is part of where Silent Night, Deadly Night Five actually is interesting to a degree, right? Is that you know, again, this is a thing that you know, Yuzna movies, uh, whether he directs or not, are are kind of where they stand out a bit is that they, they really tackle these themes that are hard. Yes. You know, they tackle difficult themes that, and, and, and what's fascinating about Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 is that they're tackling such a difficult theme and yet managing to talk about it in this backdrop of just a really silly, entertaining, you know, shitty Silent Night, Deadly Night sequel, right? Yeah. Uh, because, because we are, we're talking about, we're talking about childhood trauma, basically. Mm-hmm. And and yet the overall tone of the film is fun and lighthearted and we're having a good time for the most part. You know, you don't really you don't really watch this movie and feel like sad and depressed. And, you know, it's basically an example of what I wish that. And look, this is not to knock uh, the current culture of filmmaking because we get we are getting some phenomenal movies now. But but it's it's really an example of like how you can talk about difficult subjects Mm -hmm. but still have an entertaining time with movies yeah because to me movies are first and foremost entertainment Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) who would have thunk who would have thought but but no but it it does it it tackles those and and you know it starts even before the movie really starts because you know so so we're supposed to get the idea that that Derek is traumatized by the death of uh, his supposed dad, mm-hmm. uh, Tom, played by Van Quattro, and you know we're supposed to believe that he's traumatized by Tom getting like face fucked by a Santa <laughs> ball, uh, which out he's of just co- choking on which balls. out of context probably sounds like what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, but he gets face fucked by the Santa ball, and then we're supposed to believe that. You know, Derek is traumatized because of that. But I think that I think that Derek's fucked up before that because, first of all, he already looks like a little mouth breather of a child. You know, and, <laughs> he does. And, and I mean, God damn it, William Thorne's facial expressions in this movie are absolutely priceless oh because my, of it. They're so fucking good. I love this kid and his mouth breather tendencies. The 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 moment where he meets eyes with Noah in the Santa outfit and like raises his eyebrows like why the fuck is this mall Santa staring at me like he's undressing me with his eyes <laughs> like uh it's 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 so good he's great he's great um but anyway like I was saying you know he he already kind of feels a little bit off when we first meet him. And yeah. then and then he goes and he like opens the door and just to his to his his parents' bedroom and he finds his mom Sarah played by Jane Higginson and and Tom like fucking and he just kind of has this casual look of like huh sex. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not around. the first time he's walked in on it. Well, it's either not the first time he's walked in on it or he's already just like a little you know, he's a little, a little off, a little off. And, and I it's it just made me start to think of like it. it's not, you know, part of the theme going along with the trauma and the child abuse is also just this idea of like losing your 
losing your child in a sense, you know, lo- losing uh, your sense of innocence and how the kind of destruction of your family can sort of do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, when we look at Pino as a character, you know, Pino is this quote-unquote son. I mean, he's a robot, so I can't really call him son. He still be a son. But fine, fine, fine. He's a son of Pino, of Pedo. And, you know, his whole deal is he is, you know, somewhat traumatized by the fact that he doesn't have a mother. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't have this sort of typical family dynamic and love. And I don't mean like mom and dad, but just like parents, you know, two yeah. parents to love him. And, you know, he doesn't have that. Instead, he just has this dad that kicks the shit out of him all the time. Yeah. And, and you know, and it all results as this kind of broken family that Pedo has come from because mm-hmm. his mom and, and pregnant child died. Not not the child was pregnant. I'm already a bit drunk. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so and so he comes as a result of that. And I feel like maybe there's a part of Derek that, for whatever reason, doesn't really acknowledge Tom as his dad. Mm-hmm. You know, because because we learned that Derek is not Tom's son. And I just wonder if maybe there's a part of this child that senses that Tom isn't his dad. And even if he doesn't sense that, he probably wishes he wasn't. Because you get just the smallest of impressions that Tom himself is a bit of an abusive asshole, you know, yeah. like he like he doesn't straight up uh, hurt Derek that we can tell, mm-hmm. but you know he's like picking him up and yelling at him and there's and something I, about him being like picking Derek up when he finds a present and yelling the entire thing in Derek's face while holding <laughs> him aloft. It's, it's it's a little aggressive, you it's know. A little I, much. I can't I can't remember being picked up by my parents so that they could yell at me face to face. Yeah, because <laughs> as a kid you can't do anything about that. Like Derek can't get down, he can't escape from that. He's trapped in that moment right like yeah i do agree with you that like i think with with both derek and with pino they're coming from families that and especially dads that don't really accept them Mm. and they're also like in pino's case he's trapped in perpetual childhood you know because he's a robot he's not really he's not able to age he's not really able to move on because he he does love his dad but he is trapped in this relationship. And I think that, like, when it comes to, like, Pedo and um, Noah, you know, Derek's actual biological father, who's played by Tracy Fram, mm. um, I think both of them kind of have this idealized vision of what having a kid and having a son would be like. Um, oh, but- for sure. They're, they're, they're relics of this age of, like, the, the atomic family, right? Like, yeah. mom, dad, and kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, and the kids are going to be seen but not heard. Yeah, and, and I almost, you know, part of me is almost kind of feeling like the film sort of uh, a reflection on kind of like the changing uh, time period because again, this is early '90s, you know. And at, when I was growing up in the '90s, like the 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 thought of the atomic family was still pretty strong, mm-hmm. but it was but it was also deteriorating too, you know. Like we were we were starting to that that was the very beginning of kind of starting to become more open and more you know, accepting of, like, different kinds of families, you know, where it doesn't have to be mom, dad, and child. It can Mm be mom, mom, and child, dad, dad, and child. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's, we we started to get rid of those ideas, and there were films that, you know, at the time, and and maybe this is one of those that were kind of, like, sort of digesting that and and kind of dealing with sort of the, I don't know, like, the, the frustration and the anger of especially middle America 
yeah. over the fact that families were changing, you know, uh, which is what, again, Pedo kind of reminds me of. He's very much the atypical atomic family, like 50s. Mm-hmm. Or I keep saying atomic. I think it was nuclear family <laughs> is the <laughs> nuclear right term. Nuclear family, yeah. Um, but he, he's very much like that that relic of the 50s, you know, that's all about like children must be obedient and do mm. everything I say, you know, and, yeah. and and our lives are ruined because there's no mother or like, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and to your point, you know, this was a film set during the time where we were also starting to challenge this idea that parents are not infallible. Because that was a huge part of, like, family life. I thought they were perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I feel like that's the difference between if you're comparing, like, Sarah, the mom, to to Tepedo. Because Sarah is trying to acknowledge, you know, what Derek's going through and be supportive and give him his space to do his stuff and be his own person while still, you know, trying to be a parent. Whereas, like, again, Pedo just wants Pino yeah, he sh- just wants that Pino. He just wants that <laughs> Pino. He just wants Pino to be something that Pino can't be. Well, look, I think I think it's the you know going back to the Pinocchio theme. I think that it's a perfect theme, honestly, for this movie. And you know, I it's been it's been so long since I've read the original Pinocchio story to really mm-hmm. go into like what that's all about. <laughs> but it is really really interesting here. You know, it, granted, it's not subtle whatsoever. No, no, there's no subtlety in this movie. <laughs> but, but it is really interesting using the Pinocchio theme in the context of, you know, uh, abuse and, like, family issues and stuff like that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Pino even says to himself at one point about how his dad fixes him every time every time he breaks. Yep. But the irony of it is, is that it's his dad breaking him over and over and over again, you know? Yep. And and I mean that's like the 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 one of the key elements of abuse, you know, mm-hmm. is like this idea that, you know, you have Pedo breaking Pino, mm-hmm. uh, but then he kind of convinces him in a sense, you know, it's almost like brainwashing kind of uh, to to continue to love him because then he puts him back together again. You know, it's a very it's a very awful form of abuse where you like yeah. keep keep kind of being the breaker but also the fixer right and so you sort of like brainwash the victim but anyway i don't want to spend too much time on the darker (laughs) elements of that but the basic idea here is that you know it's just really interesting how uh how pino and Derek are actually very similar Mm -hmm. and probably a big reason why pino is going so directly after Derek. yeah because pino is essentially Derek. Mm -hmm. you know and so like i like i talked about i think on uh episode three for this you know, when you really watch these horror films, and I, I hope I'm not sounding too, like, pretentious because <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you probably get this, but it's like, when you're watching these horror films, you know, the, the main protagonist, the, the monster that they're facing is almost always a version of themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what's going on here. Pino is a version of Derek. He's kind of like the future Derek if Derek can't reconcile the issues that he's facing, right? Yeah. And and so, and, and, and you know that Derek is troubled i think long before his dad died kind of going back to that idea because you know there's this moment where uh where you see Derek in his bedroom and there's a drawing that caught my eye in the room because it's a it's a crayon drawing the creepy dad drawing yeah it's a crayon drawing and it's Derek, his mom and his dad but in the picture his dad looks like a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek looks like he's crying, and then his mom is just like all smiling and rainbows, and it just kind of <laughs> speaks to like the obliviousness of Sarah, yeah, <laughs> and and just kind of the the abuse and the trauma that Derek is dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. So so again, that's why I feel like he's I'm all over the place, but that's why I feel <laughs> like he was long 
trouble before Santa ever fucked Tom's <laughs> mouth, you know? So. That's a fucking sentence. It sure is. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened, damn it. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think Pino is trapped in this this cycle of abuse. You know, he can't escape. You know, Pinocchio's, going back to your Pinocchio idea, Pinocchio's big thing is that he goes out into the world and he experiences life and he makes mistakes. Pino is not given that same luxury because of his relationship with his dad. He's trapped mm. in that cycle. And so I think, yeah, that's a big reason why Pino feels like he has to kill Derek because mm. they are the same person. They both have, you know, the prospects to be trapped in these same cycles. And Pino is very much going Highlander on it. There can only be one. There can only be one traumatized child? Yep. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think only that's one. Trapped in this cycle. And that's a little bit of a stretch, Chris. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. He's killing Derek because Derek has hope to get out of that cycle still. No, he's killing Derek because Derek is him. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's try he's that's what I said. No, he's killing Derek. Okay, so look, it, this is complicated, like, uh, bullshit, right? So, mm -hmm. like, it's basically, it's basically, uh, Pedo is the villain because Pedo is, is Derek's future. Yes. And Pedo wants to kill Derek because Derek is... Uh, resembling of the last little bit of innocence that Pino has. Yes. You know, so he's Pino, basically yeah. Pino. So he's basically <laughs> like like Pino kind of looks at Derek like you're a reflection of what I wish I still was. Yeah, he has to kill his past but, self. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah. <laughs> um can we but, talk about the important people though? Who are the important people? The return of Kim and Ricky. So this is really fucked up, right? This is well not, No, I love this. <laughs> well, not fucked up. Fucked up's not the right word, but like Th this blows my mind because, or this is just one of the mo the weirdest parts about Silent Night Deadly Night Five is that, uh, you have both Kim and R well not both you have Kim, Ricky, and Lonnie from Part Four all return in this movie. Yes. So so Kim once again played by Neve Hunter, Ricky once again played by Clint Howard, and Lonnie once again played by Conan Yuzna. Uh. They all come back in this movie. Yes. And yet, there's no reason. No. <laughs> there's no reason that these characters are back. <laughs> it's perfect. I fucking love this. Okay, so the reason why I love this is because, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night basically pulled off, or at least attempted to pull off, what Halloween was meant to be. You know, this anthology franchise that moves on to a different topic with each new movie, right? Mm. You know, but the difficult thing with doing an anthology thing like that is that you don't necessarily get familiar faces anymore. But with most horror films, you do have somebody who survives. So the thing that I think is brilliant about this and I fucking love is the fact that Kim returns and not only like it's it's her, it's her 100 percent because she does reference you know, her traumatic experience from part four. Granted, it's just in a line when her and Sarah are, you know, sitting on the couch towards the end and Sarah's talking about her difficulties with Derek, you know, and the fact that he's still mute from his trauma and trying to move on from that. And Kim just kind of has a throwaway line of like, it's human to want nice, neat answers for everything, but life doesn't work that way. Um, you wouldn't believe what I've been through. And that's our only hint that she's actually the same character. Mm. But I, I like that connection. It's acknowledging that the other movies have happened and that this is all in the same universe, but then yep. lets this be its own thing. Yeah, but then how do you explain Ricky? Because didn't Ricky die? I don't get Ricky. <laughs> I, you know what? Here's my thing. Okay, so Ricky, when we 
we we last caught up with him at the end of um you know part four initiation he'd gotten stabbed in the gut and then bugs were eating him over in a corner right mm. you know but these are mystical magical cult bugs so maybe maybe <laughs> the bugs weren't eating him but healing no. him and healing his mind and now he's got his shit together he's helping kim raise lonnie and now he's a mall santa no so i i'm, I'm gonna be honest i don't know if it's the alcohol or not i'm not sure what your point to any of that was but <laughs> my point is but, that that's how you do it anthology but it's not anthology so like it could be (laughs) well it could be but it didn't get enough movies to keep being christmas anthology it could could also be brian yosner's being like isn't this fun that we're (laughs) casting them in this movie again like okay okay i'm trying to give deeper meaning to this no i know look i'll try to (laughs) so like you know okay yeah the, th- the thing that is fun about it is that, yes, it, it kind of creates this, like, sort of Silent Night, Deadly Night shared universe, which has really been going on since part two, you know, because in mm-hmm. part two, you have that Ricky, played by Eric Freeman, uh, is is watching the first film in a theater, right? So, yeah. like, so the franchise... he's having a mental break in that moment. I understand that, but the <laughs> franchise has been meta since part two, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, then th- and then in both... Uh, four and five we have references to the third film where people are watching it it's mm-hmm. in the background on tv at some point in this film and and part three you know of course like references all this shit from part two and whatnot or, or from yeah and anyway so so there is kind of this shared universe between these movies they've mm-hmm. always kind of been meta and had fun with that and, and 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 you know to those curious like yeah like you said i i do believe that Ricky, Lonnie, and Kim in this are all not coincidental. I yeah. absolutely think that they're playing the same characters because they have the same fucking names with the same actors. Yeah. So so they're definitely those characters. There is, of course, a question of why, <laughs> but since they <laughs> since none of them do anything in this. But but I also but you have to think like, okay, maybe it is kind of like a shared universe sort yeah. of thing, right? Where where all of these things are occurring in the same silent night, deadly night uh world Mm -hmm. and 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 maybe maybe just maybe uh ricky and kim considering that they were part of some sort of colton part four maybe maybe they have some kind of underlying hand in what's happening in this film you know so no that's stupid you're stupid (laughs) (laughs) jerk uh no but but you know let's just put it this way if if they are the same characters, is there not an, an extraordinary amount of coincidence that not only does Kim live like right next to mm-hmm. fucking Sarah, yep. but that Kim seems to also be there with literally every fucking weird thing that happens to Sarah, and and you know like Kim is this excuse for why Sarah's making dumbass decisions, like bringing her child's present into the house that is left by a stranger on the doorstep. I guess what I'm saying is like it. Obviously, the film does not intend to have a giant meeting with these three mm-hmm. in the film, right? But they're there for a reason, and maybe that reason is just to say that maybe there is a little bit of something-something going on with, you know, Kim underneath the surface. Maybe she's trying to recruit Sarah. I don't know. Oh, I absolutely <laughs> think she might be trying to recruit Sarah or some of the other women into yeah, her like, Come on, Sarah, forget your deadbeat guy <laughs> that you never told about his kid and your fucking atrocious abusive husband that you're married to now fuck those guys (laughs) i mean so i wouldn't put it past him to be doing anything like that like okay i i will buy that they they could be doing things like that 
I don't buy them having anything to do with like the pedo pino situation. That's its whole its own separate thing. But look, I I really like this. Like if if Halloween had continued in its trajectory and uh, Halloween four ended up being a completely different story, but doing Halloween, if it did not have a silver shamrock reference in the movie. I would have bet I'd be disappointed. <laughs> I th- I just in every single Halloween film that would have come after had they moved away from Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. I just want like random shots of Michael Myers in the background, but not yeah. like but not like but not like you'd think. I'm thinking like you know someone goes to like a cafe and Michael Myers is just <laughs> he's in the just back- getting a coffee. <laughs> he's just in the background having a coffee. Okay. The because you look, know, he could be a janitor. A... He could no, be a no, janitor no. in all of them. No, pff, fuck that. No, like, look, Michael has to be doing something in the off time between Halloween and yeah. the next Halloween. So he's just at the cafe having a little drink, you know, maybe getting a smoothie, maybe having a crumpet. I don't know. I would. <laughs> here's the thing. I would 100% be down for that. But he's still wearing the mask. Even obviously. Though, even though it's like August. <laughs> yeah, obviously he's still wearing the mask. I No, it's, it's this weird thing, and maybe it's a personal thing, but if you're going to do an anthology series like that, I think that it kind of, I like referencing the ones that came before, not letting them alter any course that you're on, but, you know, yeah, still having that reference is really nice, but to your point with her, like, Kim making Sarah make all the bad decisions, like, bring a present in, like, I feel like that speaks to just, like, the inherent stranger danger of this entire film. This entire film is about stranger danger. But, oh, look, okay, first of all, yes, no, the, the, the anthology thing, definitely fun. It's what I think the franchise became, so, you know, I kind of like that they do that. Because we're, we're so far off from Killer Santas at this point yeah. that, that you might as well just go fucking batshit with it. So. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, you know, so this is, going back to kind of, like, the period this was made, uh, it, it is... It does touch on that a little bit because, again, again, this movie is all about, you know, childhood trauma, right? Yes. I, I, that's really what is 100% going on here in, in Silent Night, Dental Five, and if there's anything going on. And <laughs> and the 90s was a time for that. I mean, you and I both grew up during this period, and if you grew up during the 90s or were, you know, conscious uh, during that time and not, like, two years old, you know, you remember that, like, this was the period of – the neighborhood watch signs and, mm-hmm. and and the time where we started worrying about all of our candy, right? Well, I mean, that started in the 80s, but we started worrying about all of our candy at Halloween and and you you couldn't trust, you know, the the weird old guy down the street, right? And, you know, like it, and, and we had that. Like, I mm-hmm. think, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like every neighborhood had that kind of uh, creepy person that you didn't like go near their house, right? Or, or we even, maybe it was to a point where we even made up our own urban legends about, you know, people were like, I remember the neighborhood I grew up in, there was a specific house where we didn't go near that house because we, that guy was a pedophile, you know, and like, <laughs> and, and it was just stuff like that. And, and that was a big part of the early 90s when we were growing up is that there was this big movement towards stranger danger to the point where it became like part of school lectures, you know, yeah. and, and you were taught to not talk to strangers and like all this kind of stuff. I'm sure some of that existed long before the nineties, but the point is, is it was heavily on the conscious of parents at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that that, you know, seeped into Yuzna and Katrusser's kind of approach to the movie, because you even have moments that focus on signs of the like the neighborhood watch sign in the neighborhood right yeah and and to me that's just such an intentional shot Mm -hmm. of trying to say like oh you you think our movie's about pedophilia you would be correct (laughs) (laughs) 
a thousand dollars to you you won um <laughs> uh because because there is that sense to it and part of that kind of ties into you know so if you want to look at you know uh Katrosser's kind of friday th- friday 13th sort of um uh, uh lessons learned right or mm-hmm. or or applications of his themes from those movies uh you see that a little bit in this film because there's a sort of sense in this movie of sex equals death but it's different because it's not necessarily sex of the people doing it equals death although it does happen mm-hmm. but it's more focused on the idea that parents having sex ignore their children in danger you know and and then that leads to death in one way or another if you are a parent you can no longer have sex you will endanger your children no but you know what i mean it's it's the concept of like when you're fucking you're not watching your kid right yeah (laughs) make sure that kid's locked up before you do the fucking yeah and 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 that's a very specific approach to it but the idea is really just in general that you know the the obliviousness of parents yeah you know and that's what and that's part of what this film's commenting on because on one side you have the the abusiveness or, or the abusive parent in pedo mm-hmm. or or maybe uh tom you know and and then you have the 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 distant parent the parent that doesn't understand the parents that that's not there the parents that is frankly kind of a dumbass parent you know so like uh so in that case that would be or in this case that would be noah who's not even there yeah and and also sarah who frankly is i think kind of a dumb mom you know like she like she she look she's trying her best her husband just died she's working a job she's got like a mute five-year-old well she is trying but the movie is kind of about how oblivious she is because because she's first i mean yeah she's taken in this package addressed to her son that some stranger just left on her doorstep like what kind of fucking mother doesn't think that there's something a little bit weird about that and then and then and then uh she's also you know she just doesn't really seem like she gets Derek or like that she that she knows how to handle any of his issues because for god's sakes she has a son who is not talking anymore who is clearly a mouth breather (laughs) who walks around the house with his fucking mouth open all the time he probably chews with his mouth open too and and you know she's got this troubled child i i don't mean to make fun of all those things because that doesn't mean he's anything but but she's got this troubled child, and her her response is like, "Oh, hey, you just witnessed your dad die. Why don't we buy you a nice new toy from the creepy pedophile <laughs> shop? You would like that, wouldn't you, Derek? Let's go to this store and have this creepy old man just shove an airplane into your face and move it around a bunch until he gets you to like it." <laughs> Who gets very much into Derek's personal space? Like, puts an arm around him, gets his face real close. We'll get him. We'll get him. He says. Yeah, there's a lot of creepy. <laughs> You know, to to your point, I think the 90s were an interesting point because we were getting more into stranger danger. But for me, I grew up in a neighborhood that did block party. And we did things like, um, did you ever do ghosting at Halloween no. time? No, I just ghost people in real life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so ghosting is basically where, you know, you would ostensibly leave an anonymous treat bag on a neighbor's door. Like, you would put it on the doorstep, you would knock on the door, and then you would run away. And the bag would say, like, you've been ghosted, now ghost somebody else. It was like, uh, what's those spam mails? But to your point with the stranger danger, like, look, we have a lot of really creepy scenes. Like, when Noah is as the Santa and holding on to Derek without explaining anything. Mm. And I think that it's referencing this very weird time period where we're starting to realize stranger danger more, but not enough to be smart about it. 
So enough to know that like, eh, Pito's not great, Noah's not great, but we're still going to take the random package that's unmarked into our house because that's totally normal. Yeah, and the, and the one last thing I'll add on to that is just, um, you know, kind of, kind of again, touching on sort of like how this film is heavily dealing with, you know, trauma and, and unfortunately pedophilia and just kind of like basically this idea of like watch your kids you know like watch your kids and and that comes through the sense that uh so much of the violence and horror in the movie is sexually oriented you know so like it's like again tom gets fucked by a santa ball Uh in the face right and then and then you've got fucking larry the larva like you know deep throating <laughs> the <laughs> hotel manager right and who took a toy from a stranger who took a toy from a stranger and then you have uh the the those kids that are sleeping together in fucking Derek's tiny ass little kid bed right <laughs> um and and you know and they're getting like speaking of nipples you know the one guy gets like his nipples sawed off i would imagine yep uh and 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 both of both the guy and the girl are getting attacked kind of in the genitals a little bit mm-hmm. you know during this really long awkward sex scene <laughs> and and so there is just that idea of like you know you got to protect your kids you got to keep an eye on your kids and you know and, and just everybody seems to be failing at that lesson because well Derek is in danger fucking ta or fucking Sarah and Noah are fucking in the back seat <laughs> of a JC Penney's parking lot or whatever the fuck they are right so <laughs> but look so i want to get back to Pino Pino because you know something because look the the ending of this movie is the most fascinating part of the film i think it's the reason that you revisit this movie i think it's the reason that you come back over and over again to silent night deadly night part five for the weird rape scene not for the weird rape scene (laughs) specifically but but look if you've seen silent night deadly night five the thing and somebody mentions the movie to you the thing that you probably recall first if not mickey rooney is fucking uh brian bremer stripping out of the santa outfit into just like <laughs> this you know ken doll anatomically incorrect ken doll body you, you know like that that whole sequence the entire thing is just like mind-boggling like you can't take your eyes away from it you know mm-hmm. uh, because not only is bremer just so insanely creepy in that moment but there's just something about the reveal of him being this you know, the mannequin robot toy <laughs> that that is just mind blowing, right? Yeah. Um, but even more so than that is just like, what the hell is his actual purpose? You know, because he he is wanting. You know, he he keeps going back to his childhood home, which Sarah and uh, Derek happen to live in now, mm-hmm. and he like wants a mommy but doesn't want a mommy he He wants wants to to, fuck mommy he wants to fuck his mommy but wants to kill mommy like you know there's just what the fuck does Derek (laughs) or what the fuck does Pino want (laughs) I I feel like that's the crux of Pino he is a character who is caught between childhood and adulthood you know I think that Pino at the end of the day just wants freedom as weird as that sounds because I think, I think Pito keeps him trapped in childhood the way that parents do a lot of times. They have a tendency to infantize their children, mm. you know, and keep them kind of trapped in this childlike state anytime they're home. And so there's a part of, a part of Pino, I think, that just is trying to recreate this family dynamic that seems so important to his dad. 
but that's not what he wants anymore. He's a fucking adult. What is he, like, 30 at this point? He was made in, like, the 1970s. I mean, he's a robot. I'm not really sure he ages in adult years. <laughs> no, but at the same time, like, he does kind 30 of... 30 for us is, like, 10 minutes for him. So <laughs> <laughs> but I... He probably just hits a button, like, power off, and, you know... <laughs> that's not to say that he's not living and learning and all that kind of stuff. And sure, I sure. think I think that's where we get the weird scene where he's trying to fuck his mommy. Because I think he's finally at a point where he wants to grow up. He wants to be an adult. He wants to be a real boy. But he feels trapped <laughs> in this childhood. I want to be a real boy. And the only way I can be a real boy is by fucking mother. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of what we're told? Like you, no! said, you know what kind of fucking okay. family were you brought up in? Where they're okay. like, listen, Chris, you don't become an adult until you fuck mom. <laughs> okay, I didn't mean fucking your mom, but isn't you're... that what we're all taught as a child <laughs> that you must fuck your parents to transcend to an adult? <laughs> okay, I was only half listening to what you were saying. I yeah, well, you and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I mean is like, and and you put the point out there that everything is all about sex and a lot of times in our society having sex is that like okay you're more adult now and so i think that's where it's coming from and not necessarily that he wants to fuck mom but because he doesn't really know any other female relationships i disagree so, so really, you disagree about with me about the sex thing i do actually so <gasps> so the reason the reason why is because i don't think that i don't think that pino is necessarily looking to transcend to an adult. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what's happening. What's happening here is, is very complicated, but but mostly boils down to two things. One is that you have to consider where Pino's coming from. Pino's, you know, it's not like we have the internet back then, and I doubt that Pino has a stack of, like, VHS porn in the basement, right? Well, he so. absolutely <laughs> does, the little freak. I didn't see any porn <laughs> down there, did you? I just saw fucking stuffed teddy bears that you ignored from the VHS cover. Um, they, they but he holds in them. But he, but he, he doesn't have a lot of real world experience. His experience in life is fucking pedo beating him and getting drunk, right? So, you know, so what I think is kind of going on here is like he doesn't, he doesn't know what a proper love is, you know, yeah. and that, and that's that's part of the commentary like on childhood trauma is that when you when you are a kid who goes through things like this, you know, or or, or grows up in kind of a toxic family, like you don't know what real love is you, mm -hmm. you you get sort of a sort of a convoluted or or uh or or fucked up idea of it right and so when i look at pito pino when i look at pino you know he's this character that his his only two ideas of love are the violence of his father mm -hmm. and sort of the sexuality of like the couple that he finds fucking right you know that that's really that's really the only two examples he has of what love is uh -huh. so so when he is you know saying i love you mommy yeah. you know i don't i don't think there's anything sexual about that i mean for god's sakes he does not have anything down there that doesn't He's, mean you can't hump something it doesn't mean he can't stormy hump hump. no that's not the point he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't have those urges you know so i think when he is saying I love you, mommy. I think that that's more just him kind of showing love the only way that he knows how. And it and it's just so it's, his choices were beat her or fuck her. Basically, yeah. But that <laughs> but that's part of that's part of the abuse. That's part of how fucked up mm -hmm. you know he he has become from his childhood and or from whatever childhood a robot can have, right? Mm -hmm. You know that that is where that's coming from. Is that is all he knows? But then another side of that is that. You know, if you didn't notice, uh, I actually think there's a lot of like queer coding going on in this film where, mm -hmm. 
where when you look at, you know, we should have talked about this earlier probably, but when you look at uh, Pedo and Pino's relationship, you know, what does Pedo say to him constantly? Like, Pedo not only beats him and ignores him and treats him like he's not his real son, which I know he isn't, mm-hmm. but thematically treating him like that. And he says things like, you know why nobody comes to the store anymore? It's because of you. Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, if you want to, again, go back to the idea that he's like this relic of the nuclear family era, then obviously that's a time where, you know, parents and and just society in general are not very kind to the queer community. Yeah. And so it strikes at this court of like, well, maybe they're, you know, maybe Pino uh, is representative of being like a queer child, right? Mm-hmm. Who who is not accepted by his father, who gets, you know, uh, beaten and ridiculed for it. And and it's sort of a commentary with him being this uh, this sort of, like, outcast that society doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, that that's where some of that comes from. And especially when you have the reveal of he is anatomically incorrect. To me, that's not necessarily, like... I mean, yeah, it's super creepy and all that kind of stuff, but 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 to the me, the camera spends too long on his lack of parts. It does, and I think it's very intentional because yeah. that that's followed by the whole "Mommy, I love you" scene, mm-hmm. and I think that it, you know part of it's really just kind of talking about the idea of like, look, when when you are, I mean, I can't say this from firsthand experience, but from what I can understand, talking to people in the queer community, you know, it's like when you when you are when you are growing up, you know, uh, it feels like a lot of people don't quite know how to accept at first that, that you are part of that community or mm-hmm. that you are different. Right. And, and sexual and sexuality for all of us is very confusing. I think uh, when you're a yeah. kid. So, so Pino having this whole kind of, you know, not being anatomically erect and not having a defined sex or defined sexuality, mm-hmm. I think is really just, yeah. Kind of touching on this idea of like the, uh, you know him potentially being part of the queer community the queer coding of the film yeah. and how and how he's this you know person that uh has not yet accepted his sexuality or understood it mm-hmm. and unfortunately it takes the kind of horror movie approach to it where it's like okay they don't understand so now they're a killer right you know that's yeah. that's obviously negative in a lot of ways but mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but but the thematic idea of it still stands there where he's really just this character who is figuring himself out yeah and and it's driven him to you know, kind of act out in these violent ways because no one understands and no one accepts him. Yeah. So No, I definitely agree that I think there's a lot of things about Pino that can be read as, as different kind of queer coding, be it his sexuality or be it, you know, Pino being more of a trans character or anything like right, that. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, because we all know that, you know, biology doesn't define our gender. We define our gender. Exactly. I am... Um, and but, Pino has not yet defined his gender. So. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> which, is, which I think is part of the reason he wears masks, you know, because he or, or makes masks because he he has not a- accepted the person mm-hmm. that he is. And so he's wearing masks to kind of like either hide that or fit into a society that wants to see him as something else. You know, yeah. and, and it's why I think it's pretty, again, not coincidental that the first time we see him is in a monster mask, because as I like to always point out, I think that that's how he sees himself. Yeah, which is pretty typical of the killers or villains in the Silent Night Deadly Night franchises they're always these characters who you know uh have a slight sympathetic angle to them mm-hmm. where they are villainous but they're but they kind of you know they're, they're products of their situation they're products of their situation and some of them even reflect on the idea that they might be monsters right yeah. so no I definitely agree with with all of that
you know, kind of talking about this ending, I want to bring up what I think is the most chilling line in this entire film. And that's at the very end when Sarah is curb stomping Pino's head into the cement floor. And Derek tries to reassure her by looking up at her and just saying, you know, don't worry, mommy, it's only a toy, which I find very creepy because that toy just tried to stab Derek. So I also find it creepy because William Thorne, again, is like a mouth breather child that yes. is creepy in every line delivery and expression he has in this movie. So. Right? So, look, the only logical conclusion that I come to with that ending is that Derek is now a robot. What? <laughs> Derek is how, now how, a robot. How can you fucking phrase that as the only quote-unquote logical It's the only logical ending. He is now he is to... now a robot like Pino. When did the he real become... Derek is in a ditch somewhere, and now he's a robot. What the fuck? <laughs> um, oh, Derek magically starts talking because somebody tried to stab him? No, fuck that shit. He's more traumatized. He's a robot I, now. I feel like you completely missed the point. No, no, I got the point. I connected the dots. No, I don't think you got the point at all. <laughs> um, I mean, look, Derek being a robot in the end is a fun idea. And maybe he is. He is. I, I, I have I have no clue. Maybe He's been he, replaced. Maybe he has been replaced by a robot. Maybe this is an invasion of the body snatchers switcheroo yeah, with Pino's robots. Yeah, been working really hard on this robot body. Uh, I think the real answer is that, <laughs> is that you know... Your look, answer. Is that, look, it's... Yes, is that, look, it's <laughs> supposed to be... Uh, I I I think th I think the intention mm -hmm. is supposed to be that Derek has overcome his trauma because the the intended or or the supposed trauma uh, that set Derek on this path from the beginning is watching a toy fuck his dad in the mouth, right? Uh -huh. And so I'm sorry that I keep saying that, but that's what fucking happened. So and you th you think he got over his trauma by watching another toy try to fuck his mom? I'm not saying that it works. <laughs> I'm, ju I'm just saying that I think the intended idea is that Derek has overcome his trauma because in the first place he was scared of a toy. Uh -huh. And now in the end he is saying it's just a toy. Mm -hmm. You know, so so I think that that's part of it. On a more on a deeper thematic level, I think that it's not, you know, I think that it's uh, essentially kind of, again, going back to the relationship between Derek and Pino. And I think that, you know, what Derek is maybe saying there is kind of like of all things to call back or, or to relate this to, you know, like the film Toy Story is like <laughs> you're is like I, I think I think that <laughs> I think that like in Toy Story, you know, the <laughs> why are you laughing? You haven't even heard me say anything yet is that is that look, I, I feel I feel that, you know, like like any sort of familial situation like. You know the 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 toys, the children, whatever. They're they're a product of the uh, parents or the owner of the toy, you uh -huh. know, whatever. And so I think that you know Derek saying that, in a sense, is kind of like saying it's only a toy, and and that Pino is a product of what Pedo made him. Yeah. You know, Pino is a product of neglect and mm. and abuse and all this kind of stuff, and it's trying to say like. You know, Pino is not exactly the villain. Mm -hmm. Pino is this this toy that was manipulated and whatever and turned into what it is by his father, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so I almost feel like Derek acknowledging that is, you know, kind of just touching this idea of like, 
it's not too late for him. Mm -hmm. As long as he gets the attention he needs, he can get over his issues, right? Mm -hmm. And and ultimately just kind of to the idea of, like, the fact that Pino's a toy. All he really wanted was someone to play with, you know? Like... I, I mean, it's it's and more he than got curb stomped. I mean, it's it. more than that. Obviously, he wants like love and affection and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. but like the toys in Toy Story, he just wants someone to play with them, right? <laughs> and, it, and and I think that that's really what it's getting to. Is it's like it's it's kind of it's kind of forgiving Pino a little bit for the monster that he is by saying like, look, he's a product of his of his upbringing, and all he ever wanted was just to be loved you know and i i can understand that it's weirdly forgiving and also othering at the same time yeah a little bit yeah because it's basically (laughs) like it's it's only a toy so it's everything that pino wants pino wants to be recognized as a real boy a real person with his own his own agenda his own thoughts and i feel like Derek just being like it's only a toy is basically just completely demissive dismissing Pino. Yeah, I'm not really sure that was going through Derek's head as his mom was smashing his face <laughs> I with mean, her heels. I mean, he's five, so <laughs> I mean, he's not going to understand nuance, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so we we're already going way over time, so we got to start wrapping up, unfortunately. Uh, hope, <laughs> hopefully we managed to get something out of that. Uh, so who is your killer idiot of Silent Night, Deadly Night 5? Dude, that's the hotel manager. You don't take some toy from some freak you don't know in in a room when they're Why? like he offered you a present <laughs> no you're the one talking so, about stranger danger you take presents from customers at your comic shop I all the time i know them i know them he knows him too he's renting his hotel room <laughs> do not equate the two <laughs> okay no i i i, I will i no he, that man look that man was just accepting a present for his child I, okay I not, larry the larva is the grossest weirdest looking thing i would totally give i would give that to you as a present <laughs> i would throw it in the dumpster you would not you have plenty of toys like larry the larva I I do not have a single toy like Larry the Lob. False. Larpa. False. You were Name lying. One. You were Name lying one. to our audience. Name anyway, one. No. Uh, so anyway. Hey, we it, don't have a single bug toy. They're he, gross. He, he, I'm not saying specifically bugs, Chris. <laughs> uh, but no, he, he is not my idiot. My idiot is Sarah because I think she's a shitty mom. Yeah. She's a shitty partner. Yeah. <laughs> and she believes all of her kids' problems can be solved with toys. And she just takes random packages in from the street addressed to her child and is like i'm gonna put this under the tree and let Derek open this without investigating it myself first <laughs> and then rewrapping it to make sure that it's not fucking anthrax it's gonna blow up into my kid's face when i open it <laughs> i i would totally take the present god damn it well you're gonna be on my killer <laughs> idiot list then um so <laughs> i already am i am your killer idiot list well that's because i'm married to you so anyway uh what about <laughs> What about your killer death of Silent Night, Deadly Night 5? Also, the hotel manager. I like the fact that he gets eye-fucked by a bug. It's, it's just fantastic. It's super creepy and La- awful. Larry the Larva knows what he wants, and what he wants is to skull-fuck skull you. you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, no, I also put the hotel owner. I think I think that's a wicked effect from scare- from Screaming Mad George, um, yep. who did who did return from doing the effects for Part 4. And, of course he did. And it's all the better for it. Um so no no he he's my he's my killer death uh although I will also say that the couple in Derek's room comes very very close because I love the all out attack of the toys on them right? even though it makes no fucking sense that that girl survives because she gets shot right in the chest by a tank. Yeah. I'm not really sure how she made it out of that alive. Who knows? <laughs> she bled more blood than is allowed in a human body. Yep. <laughs> 
She's uh, tenacious. Sure. Uh, what about your killer MVP? Well, that's why she's my MVP. So the ba- what? Yes, the babysitter's name is Meredith, and she's played by Amy L. Fucking Taylor. Fucking Meredith is your MVP. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Meredith. That bitch survives so much. That bitch gets F- shot. Fucking Meredith <laughs> yes. made the movie for you. <laughs> Her whole five <laughs> minutes in the film. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to say that she made the movie for me, but she's getting my award because I don't, there's not a lot of other characters in horror films that have, that are such a small role like Meredith who have gone through so much and yet still survive. Also, she totally joined Kim's cult. Oh, she definitely joined Kim's cult after that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, her, her fucking boyfriend was a piece of shit anyway uh, and probably put her off men forever. So <laughs> Yeah, he did like a finger in the ass. I have to point that out. There's nothing wrong with that, Chris. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. I just think it's I think it's very funny that they put it in the movie. Indeed. Um, yeah, so no, my killer is Mickey Rooney because I'm not a monster. <laughs> it's Mickey. I'm it's not Mi- a monster for giving it to a tenacious it, survivor. It, it's Mickey Rooney. I, I think he's the reason you watch this movie. He yeah. is He is the highlight of the film. The every drunk scene, child abuser? Every scene that Rooney is in is just, like, fantastic. Uh, and I love getting to see a kind of creepier, meaner version of him, right? So, yeah. uh So, no, he, he is my MVP. He's super fun to watch in this. So, uh, so it is basic the basic answer. <laughs> <laughs> your basic answer so uh so so it is the end of the month so as usual we have our we gotta do our rankings for what we thought or for where we rank each film that we talk about this month so again obviously we talk about silent night deadly night parts one two three four and five uh so how would you rank the franchise altogether? all right so my least favorite is of course silent night deadly night part four the initiation Because it's gross, and Kim yells at me the entire time, and she gets raped, and it's unpleasant, and I don't (coughs) like it. Yep, and you must have been really happy to see her back for this one. (laughs) I like her in part five. I don't like her in part four, and Brian Yiznev, I don't ever want to watch your movies again if I don't have to, because they gross me out. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Um, So, coming in at number four is part five. It was a really tough call for me between part three and part five because mm. they're both batshit crazy. Like, they're both super weird, and I like them both, except for part five gets the number four spot because we know how I feel about weird rapey scenes. So her yeah. getting humped by a dickless Ken doll is really creepy for me. So It, it is, but that's why it's so great. You might be the like o- You might be the only person on the planet except for the director of part three who would rank three over five. <laughs> I, so, in defense of part three, I like three because three is the bitchy one. Like, everybody's a bitch in that film, and I love them. The doctor is weirdly obsessed, and I love. he's got a great death line, and I get a fishbowl head for Ricky. Everything's great. All right. <laughs> yep. My number two is Silent Night, Deadly Night, part one. Hmm. Like, it's good. It's amazing. It's a it's a great film. But you know what's better is Eric Freeman. And that's why part two is my number one. I mean, Eric Freeman's a blast. He's fantastic. <laughs> uh, j- one of the just one of the most bizarre performances, I think, to ever be captured on on screen. So. Yep, and that's why it's number one. Uh, so, yeah. So number three is my least favorite. I <gasps> Is it just because it's boring? Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, look, I like three, but it is. It's it's so much more boring than the rest of the films in this franchise, 
and it is the most basic of any of them on top of it. So, uh, so no, it, it's number three for me. Uh, four is my number four, <gasps> and it's because uh, I look, I, I, it's not, it's not a film that's pleasant, no? but I, but I enjoy it, and I but think you it has love a lot of Brian. I do love Brian. I think it has a lot of cool ideas, but it's not, it's not a fun movie for me. Uh, and then number three is five because again, I think it's really entertaining, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't beat out. The others for me, and so two and one, I mean, honestly, these both just kind of, you know, are interchangeable for me in a sense because they both, like, number one, I think is actually a great movie. Yes. Uh, I think it's actually really well made. It's actually scary. It's actually funny. It's really good. Um, Still has the best death in the franchise. Has the best death in the franchise by far. Uh, but, but, you know, but number two is all the best parts of that one, plus the bonkers insanity <laughs> of Eric Freeman. So, so they kind of go back and forth for me. Like part two is still a terrible movie, but in the best way possible, yes. you know? And so, so I put number two at two this time <gasps> because one actually is the better film, uh, that I would probably watch more often, but uh, again, I, two could be my number one any day of the week. So <laughs> this is a confusing list. You're a confusing list. How many times <laughs> am I going to say that? Uh, but but anyway, so yeah, so that's it for us on the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise, disregarding the remake. Although I do actually write the remake, uh, and so that's going to do it for us on these this month. We have not yet put out our voting for January's theme. We will do that soon, probably by the time you're listening to this. Uh, so go to Killer Critics on Twitter and vote there on what you'd like to hear us talk about for the month. We will probably be taking a, the first week off of January just to recollect ourselves because I keep falling behind on these. And <laughs> Yeah, we need to sleep. And, and we need a good sleep. Um, but other than all that, you know, hope that any of you who celebrate holidays during the month have had a good holiday. And for those that don't, hope you have a great new year. Hope you all have a great new year. And let's hopefully just put this fucking <laughs> shitty, terrible, pointless fucking year it feels like uh, behind us. <laughs> and let's hope for a better 2022. Uh, probably not going to happen, no. but hey, we can have faith, right? Exactly. And, and if nothing else, we will have horror movies to get us through it and at least have those to look forward to. <laughs> so, Hell yeah. Uh, so we'll see you all in 2022. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening to us throughout the year. We really appreciate it. We love you all. And hope that this has been a fun excuse for you to revisit (laughs) the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. And, yeah, we'll see you next year. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night and a happy New Year's, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, Please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>